right, after watching some random set of images, we are now ready for a sermon. That is the whole purpose of that video. Um, and if you have, uh, if you've been wondering what that like flashing in the background's been going on, that's people getting tickets. So just wanted to set the record straight. That's what's going on behind me throughout the whole night. So if, if you like rolling a right turn at a light, that is not the one you want to do it at. You will get a ticket. So uh, that's just, that's completely for free from me to you. Um, hey, uh, I just want to make sure you guys know we are meeting all throughout the month of October. So if you're wondering about the schedule, it's come. <laughs> the schedule is yes, we are meeting all the way through the month of October. Actually, the next time we'll be off is Thanksgiving. So every single Tuesday night, we'll be right here at 7 o'clock. Um, we are jumping back into our series of the book of James. And I am, I have so enjoyed this series already. We're only, we're finishing up chapter one today. And uh, I think I love it so much because the book of James is probably my favorite book in the New Testament. I think it's because it's so practical, so easy to just like read something and be like, oh, I know what to do with that. And, and that's why it's for sure been one of my uh, favorite books in the Bible. Tonight, here's what we're going after. I'm going to talk to you about why the Christian life is awesome. It's an awesome life, and, uh, and there is reason uh, specifically in James chapter 1 why the Christian life, the call to be a Christian, to, to follow Jesus, to believe fully in him and, do, and, and obey what he said, that life is a really, really awesome life, and uh, that's what we're going to be talking about here tonight. But let me pray for us first, and then we'll dive in. Father, we, we just take a moment right here, and we focus our hearts on you. Um, and we focus it on what you have to say. Lord, would we be able to um, encounter what it is that you're trying to speak to us? Thank you, Lord, that there are different things. You're going to speak to different people in the room, and we just, we ask for that. We invite it, and we say, have your way here tonight as we uh, go into James chapter 1, God. Make the words of these pages jump out at us, and, and not just whisper something, but would they yell it at us in the name of Jesus, we pray this. Amen. Amen. All right, here's how we're going to start tonight. Everybody stand up. We're going to do a little bit of an experiment. Yes, stand up. Everything's going to be fine. Um, <laughs> here's, here's all we're going to do. I'm about to show you an image on the screen, and there are no instructions as to what's going to happen after that. Uh, and it's not going to, like, spray water at you or anything, like, weird. It's simply an image. You're going to look at that image for 15 seconds, and then I'm not going to tell you anything else until after that, so uh, it's completely up to you what to do. All right, so go ahead and throw that image up there, and then I'm going to count. There are no rules. There are no instructions either, Venti. All right, take the image down. Now, uh, here's what we're going to do. I have two questions I'm going to ask you about that image. And then there are going to be multiple choice. Uh, a, B, C, or D with your hand, okay? A, B, C, or D. Question number one, real simple. How many different shapes were there? Okay, was there five, six, seven, or there were no shapes, Okay. You can make your choice. Everybody make your choice. Just take a guess if you don't know. That's okay. And the answer to that one is 
<laughs> I forgot to put a key. Let me think through this now. That's right. I gave you the answers yesterday. Okay, the answer to that one is A, five. So if you have a wine, stay standing. If you do not, go ahead and sit down. Only winners stay standing. <laughs> All right. So the next obvious question should be that uh, how many different colors were there? Okay. Five, six, seven, or they were all one color. And if that's your answer, I have bad news for you. <laughs> you are colorblind. Yeah, I remember the answer to this one. All right. Everybody got their answer in? A, B, C, or D? All right. The answer is seven. There were seven. Look at that. <laughs> so there's literally no one got both questions, right? No winner in the room. Look at that. Hey, that actually kind of works out well for my illustration. Um, <laughs> yeah, there wasn't a prize anyway, so don't, don't feel super bad. <laughs> you might have been disappointed had you won. Um, here, here's why we, we start with this little experiment exercise, whatever you want to call it. Um, when, I, when I showed you the image each one of you had to make a choice of what you were going to do from there. And I gave you no instructions, so it was very hard to make a choice. You're like trying to figure out what's happening. But maybe some of you, as soon as you saw the image, you made the decision that there were going to be questions. If that was you, raise your hand. Look at that. So just showing you an image made you think, I'm going to be asked about this. And then once you make that decision that I'm going to be asked about this, then you start what? You start memorizing things, you're try, trying to pick out details, and, and then you're just guessing on what the questions are going to be. And I just think it's amazing. Like, I, I gave no instructions, and many of you made a decision about what you were going to do in those 15 seconds just by looking at something. And, and what you did, what decision you made to do something is really what led towards you knowing something about the image or not. Um, you could have just looked at it and said, I have no idea what's happening. And that's okay, because I gave you, you no know, instructions, so you're not a bad person. It just, you didn't do anything about it, and so then you weren't really equipped for uh, what was to come in the quiz, uh, the way it was built. And that's, that's kind of what the book of uh, James in chapter 1 he's getting at, is there is, there is some, so much that you can behold, you can look at in Christianity, but just seeing it, hearing it, it is not the part that's going to get you to that successful place. Um, you have to decide to do something about it. And that, what, what you're going to find here in James chapter 1 is he's going to give us three things that unlock the awesome Christian life. And, and I can't get up here and say why being a Christian is awesome and not give you the reasons for it. I'm going to give you all the reasons, and it's all going to lead to, if you do these three things, you will experience that fulfilled, awesome Christian life. And uh, you're going to find these in verses 22 through 25 of James chapter 1. Let me jump in at verse 22 where it says this. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror 
and after looking at himself, goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. James starts with his first direction for us is do not merely listen. It's a different way of saying our, our first step to unlocking this awesome Christian life is don't only listen, is what he's saying. Don't only listen to God's word. And obviously, listening to God's word is important. My goodness, that's, that's what we're doing right now. So, of course, it's important to listen to God's word, but, but to only listen is what he's speaking out against. Um, because I, you know, I grew up in church. I'm a pastor's kid. I've probably heard more sermons than anyone in this room, which is a pretty bold claim. But I've, I would even venture to say I've been to more women's conferences than most of the women in this room. <laughs> and uh, the only person who might have heard more sermons might be Danny, because he's from Puerto Rico, and I feel like they have 12 services a week. So it's a, yeah, <laughs> so, so maybe Danny's heard more. But I've heard a lot, a lot of sermons. So I'm not up here saying that's not important. That's not the point James is making. He's saying, of course it's important, but if that's as far as it goes, you're missing it altogether. Just to see the thing or to hear the thing is not the end game. That's step one, but you have to get past that to enter into this awesome life that we're talking about. And what he tells us is, do not be merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. What he's saying is there's a trap set up right here in this topic. And the trap is doing this, what we're saying, only listening to God's word. And not doing it. Um, and if, if you only listen to God's word but you don't do anything about it, then that leads to what he calls deception that's self-deception. And deception is one of the scariest things that the Bible talks about. Because when you're self-deceived, what that means is nothing's going to change. You're going to stay in that deception unless something collides against you. And this is why it's so scary when you see topics about deceiving yourself. is like, well, what if I am deceived and how do I get out of that? It requires some sort of external agent just to snap you out of it because the deception came from you believing something. And it's a really, really scary space to be in. And he's warning against, against that. He's saying, I don't want you to be in that, in that space of deception. So it, it kind of begs the question, like, what exactly are we talking about? What's the deception? Well, the deception is, is this idea of the end game is just to hear it. The end game is to be around the things that God has said. It doesn't have to do with you doing anything. It's like the doing thing is optional, and that's the deception. And I actually think that the great deception in American Christianity is believing that simply hearing what God has said and attending church or coming every single Tuesday night or even occasionally reading the Bible yourself, if you can just get there, then you're going to have a relationship with God. And how could he reject you? And how could you not enjoy a life with him if you just do that? Um, but the Bible is clear, and what it says is that we're supposed to hear, and we're supposed to believe. And the belief that the Bible is talking about is not just a cognitive. It, it involves all of you. It's a full sense of believing that I believe all the, all the things that God is saying, and I'm going to spend my life pursuing that, and, and adhering to that, and obeying that. That's the kind of belief that the Bible is talking about. And it's not just not just hearing it, not just being around here, and I often think, like, how did we as a culture get there? What happened in the history of, of this country, of our country, that, that kind of sets us up to have a high value of listening and maybe a lower value of doing anything 
about it, and because I think that is the great deception. That is the number one thing. If you, there are so many towns in America where I've been, and even it doesn't really matter if you believe or not. It's just built into the system that, like, on Sunday we go to church. This, this is what we do here. And, and I know there are many places in America, if you grew up, you're like, oh, that wasn't at all the culture. I'm just saying there's a lot of places like that where it's built into it. And I think it's a great thing to hear God's word, but it, it just can't end there. And one of the reasons why I think we're there as a culture is because we've misunderstood the history of revivals in America. If you've ever spent time hearing of, of things like the Great Awakening, Second Great Awakening, um, you know, Azusa Street Revival, all these, these specific points in American history where we look back and we're like, man, something really awesome happened then. And if you were to study what happens in, in those, those times that are labeled and called revival. What, what you'll find is there's a combination of three things happening simultaneously. And I, I'm not, it's not like a science. All you do is you just see all three happening at the same time. One is a seeking of God to move, and then the, the work of the Holy Spirit happening among a people. Then you'll also see that God raises up a voice or multiple voices to speak and proclaim his truth, his word. That's the second thing you see. And then the third thing you see in revival is a, a massive response of the people to that message. It's all three of those things happening simultaneously. And, and what I think has happened in our history is we're focused so much on those voices that God has raised up that we're missing the other parts that were going on in revival. Because if, if and my, my case for that is that really when you study revivals, it's really hard to find the information on well, were there any prayer meetings that led to it? Was there any like desperately seeking of God? It's hard to find information about the exact things that, how did the people respond and what were the things happening? There's a ton of information though on the voices that God raised up, on names like George Whitfield and Jonathan Edwards. And, and again, I'm not bashing those guys. I think they, they had, someone has to be the voice. In order for revival to happen in any human heart, someone has to speak the truth of God's word to the people and then they can respond but that's what's recorded in history, and that's what's celebrated. And so I think we now live in a time where we're looking for more voices like that. And we think, well, God's not moving until we finally have another one of those people. But here's the thing. I've read a lot of the transcripts of those sermons, and they're decent sermons, but they're not like anything. If you were to go to read it, you'd be like, well, that's not like crazy, you know, wow, what a message they brought that time. It's not something like so out of the ordinary. And, and I think, actually, today, the, the art of communicating God's word just continues to get refined, and there's so much training now. I mean, look at all the seminaries that are out there. You've never been able to get more training to preach the, ever in history than now. It's just everywhere. And so I, I think God continues to raise up voices, but if all we're looking for is those voices, then we create a system where really we're just looking to listen. And we're not thinking about the other things that were involved with revival where it was a move of the Spirit, and it involved people praying and asking and imploring God to move. There was so much work being done there. And then the other part, which is what we're getting at today, which is the people did something about it. And, and every time there's, there's history of these kinds of moments, what you'll see behind that is there is a massive response of the people. There are sermons preached in a, in a church building or in a tent and the people, they, they freak out at what they're hearing. They're like, oh my gosh, if what you're saying about the gospel is true, then my life can't stay the same. And there were people who left the building that day after hearing God's word, and they go back and they would close their businesses because they knew their business didn't honor God. 
And they just say, that's it. We're done. And it, it radically altered the makeup, the economic structure of entire cities and towns because the people responded to the gospel. People were on their knees weeping, feeling the weight of what they had done against God, their own sin against God, and they're repenting of that. There's people running home down the street, and they're going to their family members that same day and saying, I just heard the good news of Jesus, and you have to hear it right now. That is, that is the doing, that's the responding to the truth of God that is happening less and less today. And it seems like we're all focused on, man, we just need like another voice. We just need like another preacher like that. Well, actually, we need all the things. If we want to experience a move of God that's going to mark a generation, it's going to have to be all those things. And the part that you and I really have to own is what James is getting after here. That you can't just be the person looking for that voice. You can't just be listening to all the podcasts you can, all the YouTube channels. You can't just do that. It has to lead towards you doing something about it. And, and that's, that's what he's after. And I want you to experience revival just like revival was experienced then. And over there, it affected cities. But listen, that change of heart is available to you today. It's not something you have to wait for and hope for. If you seek the Holy Spirit and say, Holy Spirit, come change me. Like, do the work in me and listen to God's word in the various ways that, it, that, it's, that it's preached, that it's read, all the different ways you hear God's word. You put yourself under that and then you respond to it. I'm telling you guys, that is revival. And you can have that in your life today, right now. And it starts with the first thing he's saying, which is don't only listen. And the second thing is right there inside the verse where he says, don't, only, don't merely be listeners of the word and, de- and deceive yourselves. Do what it says. And I thought that was just so plainly said. I was like, that has to be the second point. Do what it says. So don't only listen. Do what it says. Now, in, in our lives, there are many times where we're going to not really have a sense of what we're supposed to do. We've been talking about this even out throughout the series. Two weeks ago, I talked about the way of wisdom, and it's like, okay, so what do I do when I don't know what to do? And uh, tonight is a bit of a part two of that because there are going to be many times where we get to something, we're facing something, and your response will be, I don't know what to do. It's not just I, I'm wondering what to do. It's I've already made the conclusion. I do not know what to do. I've been there. I've been there many times. I was there this week. And maybe you've been there, and maybe you're even there tonight. And you're in the right place, because we're going to get some guidance from God's Word on what we're supposed to do. So we all face this place, which is, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. Now, you think about a situation in your life, maybe even in the last week, that fits that category. Maybe it's, it's a relationship that you're, you're just confused about. It's, it's a family relationship. It's a friendship. It's a career decision. It's a living situation. I need to know, should I stay here? Should I extend this lease? Whatever things that you're just like, man, it's a tricky situation. I don't know what to do. I want you to think about that. And then to that, we go to the next phrase, and that's what we talked about two weeks ago. As soon as you don't know what to do, we have to go quick to ask God what he thinks I should do, what you should do. And this is when we talked about the way of wisdom. We're, we're, we're going straight to God and say, God, would you give me the wisdom to know what to do? And see what guidance you you experience from him directly. I just don't want it to be that we don't have guidance because we simply didn't ask. And God's just like, hey, I actually would love to help you with this. But all you're saying is I don't know what to do. You're never getting to the part where you're inviting me into it. 
and, and you're, you're crying out and saying, I don't get it, I don't get it. Well, just get to the next step and ask God what he would do and see what guidance you're going to receive. And we spent the whole week talking about the things that the Bible says, but then parts that the Bible doesn't talk about and, and how that's Holy Spirit territory. And you invite the Holy Spirit and you say, guide me. And we prayed that night two weeks ago and, and we gave space and we were going to ask questions of God and then we were just going to see if he, if he answered, if there was anything he said in return to us. But I know that that night, two weeks ago, what happened in the room, most likely, is that some of you actually heard some things from God. And you said, man, I, I sense a guidance. I sense a direction. I want to take some action. But I also know that many of us, that same night, we asked the questions, we tried to listen, and we don't feel like we heard anything. And that's, that's part of this process of growing in your walk with, with God, because you maybe just haven't heard anything yet. And what he's asking you to do is wait. And there's a keep of, you know, keep going to him with the, with the questions. And so that's why today's part two, because if you say, I don't know what to do, and then you ask God what he thinks you should do, and, you're feel, and you feel like you're just waiting to hear from him still, then here's the next step for you. If you don't know what to do, ask yourself, how can I do what I know? How can I do what I know? This is incredibly helpful anytime you're facing something you don't know what to do. This very week, I, I, I was having a conversation with someone. We're, we're facing something, and, and it was even said in the conversation, man, I don't know what to do. I, I, I literally don't know what the right step would be in this, in this circumstance. And, and in my heart, so then I, I moved on to you know, asking the Lord, what do you want to happen and then I didn't sense anything specific, so then I moved on to ask myself, what do I know to do already? And as soon as I said that sentence, what do I know to do? This phrase popped in my mind, which is, count others more significant than yourself. That's from Philippians chapter 2. We've, we've studied it here. I've studied it many times, and, and I'm just going to say, okay, well, I know that's something God wants me to do. He wants me to think about the other people more significantly than the needs that I have in this situation. So what are the things I can do to count them more significantly than myself. And then I just started acting on that. And then it led to, uh, I mean, a few hours later, I was already done doing the thing I needed to do, but I never found this direct guidance from God. It came from asking myself, what do I already know I should be doing? And, and so many of us, when we come to the questions in life, we kind of expect God to, to just bring this very specific guidance every single time, and at the time we want it, and I'm just telling you, that's not the way God invites you in to his guidance. He wants you to ask for it, and he wants you to wait for it, and he also wants you to do what he's already said. Some of the answers you're looking for come from the things that have already been said. Some of them don't come from new things that you have to sense from God. And, and what might be getting in the way is this, this sense of like, well, what am, what am I supposed to do with this? Well, you have to first know it. <laughs> That's why it's so important to hear. You have to know what God says. If I didn't know what God said in Philippians chapter 2, it wouldn't have jumped in my mind when I asked that question. That's why it's so important to listen to it, but then move on to the next step, which is how, what do I do with this? And that's what he says in verse 25 in regards to doing something with the, what you've heard. But whoever gets, what, oh sorry, that was the last line. <laughs> but whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom, he's describing the revelation of God through scripture. And again, perfect law, but not just rules for the sake of rules, rules that lead to freedom. He's saying the Christian life is awesome. 
It's not this rule-bent thing where God's like oppressing his people. No, it's God giving guidance to the greatest, most fulfilling life. That's what the law is. The law that leads to freedom and continues in it, not forgetting that they, what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. You know, many times when we, when we study the Bible, it's, it's interesting to see when, when um, like the book of James, he's really telling us we got to do something about what we hear. But th- the best way I can help you uh, understand some of, the, some of the things that are happening in the scriptures is it's not always um, a passage giving you everything you need to know about one topic. There are many times in the scriptures where um, the analogy I always give people is imagine a dresser drawer where you have your clothes and we open that drawer. And inside the drawer, there's a blue shirt, a red shirt, and a green shirt. And uh, whoever, I don't wear green shirts, but maybe more realistic for Eddie, there's a black shirt, there's a black shirt, no, I'm saying, <laughs> there's a third black shirt that's a little different. No, um, no, there's a blue shirt, there's a red shirt, there's a green shirt. And many times what happens is the writer of any given book, they're just, they're opening the drawer and they're saying, hey, there's a blue shirt in that drawer. And then you read another book, and, and, and that writer says, hey, there's a red shirt in that drawer. And we look at it, and we're like, oh, my gosh, there's a contradiction. He says it's a red shirt. This guy says it's a blue shirt. Actually, it's both. <laughs> they're, they're both seeing the same thing. They're just giving you a different part of it. They're not always giving you the entire thing. So don't, and it's a good way to ask yourself the question of what are they getting at here? And James, it, he feels compelled and led by the Holy Spirit under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He, he's inspired to bring to you a portion of what's inside of the drawer of this life that we've been called to as Christians. And what he's saying is, you have to do something. You, this is the emphasis he's bringing, which is ultimately that you have to bring your obedience. God's asking you to do certain things, and you have to bring your obedience, but there's other things in the drawer, and the other thing is that God's going to bring his power. And there are different passages in Scripture I could, I could take you to, and it's going to focus on, look, none of this happens without God's power. You don't have the ability to even do the things without the power of God. So those things go together. But here James is just saying, but that's one of the things in the drawer is your obedience. You have to bring your obedience. And then in partnership with the Holy Spirit, man, that's when the life gets awesome. Because you start experiencing real change. There are things that I had my heart set on decades ago that now I have nothing to do with. And that's not because I'm awesome. It's because God did that. But I'm telling you, it took steps of obedience and God's power. Both those things. Not just one, not just the other. It's both those things. And that's what he's showing us in, those, in that drawer is both those things are there. Your obedience and God's power. And what you do is super important to God. It really is. Jesus didn't hide this. Actually, James chapter 1 has a lot of similarity to the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus in Matthew chapter 7 said this. And maybe you haven't even caught that this is the story where he says it. He says, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on a rock. The rain came down and the streams rose And the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came up, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great 
crash. Big, big, uh, there's a very different ending to both those stories. One stays standing. The other one doesn't just crash. It says with a great crash. It was complete destruction. Now, what, what I want you to notice in that story that Jesus shares is that both, the, both those people, the wise men and the foolish men, both, both of them heard the words of Jesus. I always thought of it as like, if you listen to Jesus, you have your house on the rock. No, that's not what he says. He says, you have to hear the words I say and put them into practice. It's right there. It's the same idea. You have to put it into practice. And if you do that, then you're the wise person. Then you're in the way of wisdom. You see the connection of all, between James and what Jesus is saying in Matthew 7. It, it's the same topic. And what it leads to is you having your house on the rock. And the house is euphemistic for your life. You are building your life on something solid that will stand against the storm. The other thing I want you to notice is that both those houses have the rainfall on it. Both of them have rain and storms. He uses three phrases, streams, wind, and, and rain, to just go to the nth degree to say the exact same thing happens to the house, but the end is what's different. And so don't, don't hear me wrong when I'm saying that being a Christian it, it involves an awesome life. That, it is an awesome life, but it doesn't involve a life without rain. It doesn't involve a life without wind, without streams rising up against you. That is going to happen no matter what. There isn't an option in life where you get to skip that part. The difference is if you listen to the words of Jesus and you put them into practice, you're still going to be standing at the end of that storm. That's the, that's the awesome part of Christian life. It's not that I'm like, oh my God, my life is just, it's just so good all the time. There's literally nothing bad that ever happens to me. No, that's not the Christian life. It's, yeah, there's some things that are happening. I'm like, oh my gosh, this is terrible. Why, God? And I ask him my question, but I'm still standing today. And that's what makes me be like, this is awesome. Not because I'm awesome, but because I'm standing on the rock. And that rock involves me listening to Jesus and doing something. If you're just listening to it, you're the foolish person. That's what the Bible teaches. You can't just come every Tuesday night. You can come every single Friday, Sunday. Come to all the services you want. But if it never gets to the point where you're doing something about it after you leave the room, you're the foolish person. And, and not to, to shame you as the foolish person, but the foolish person is the person who ends up in the great crash. And my heart is for you. I, I don't want that for you. I want you to be on the rock. I want you to be able to say, yeah, the rain's still coming, but I am standing on this rock. I am doing, I am holding on to Jesus Christ. And in that sense, I know things are going to be okay. My circumstances, man, they're going up and down and it's just turmoil left and right. But I'm not shaken by it at the core. And I want that for you. But you're not going to get there if you don't put into practice what Jesus is saying. So as you hear from God's word, in, in the two main ways we hear it, which is from other people, like what's happening right now, I'm opening the Bible, I'm preaching God's word to you, and there are other times where a brother or sister might come up to you and they have a word for you, they have a verse for you, they want to encourage you, and if you hear from God from other people, then that's the first way, then the other way is just directly, right? You can open the Bible, you can read it yourself, you can say, what is it here, what's happening in front of me, and study it, and and listen, uh, look intently, like James says we're supposed to do, look intently into those passages. So whether you're hearing it from, from someone else or you're reading it yourself, here's the prayer I think we all should be praying after hearing something from God's Word. And that is, Holy Spirit, what do you want me to do about what I've learned or what I've heard today, right now? Asking God, after you hear something, what do you want me to do 
about this. I, I try to do this after every sermon. I try to do this after every time I read a portion of scripture. There are many times uh, in, in the past where I've, I've had a pen with me, and one of the things I would do is I would read a chapter, and then I would, at the end of reading the chapter, I would pray that prayer, and I would say, God, what in here do you want me to learn? What, what am I supposed to put into practice? And so then I would unlearn, underline one verse in the chapter I was reading, and then I would try to live that out in the, in the next, actually, I didn't even put a time limit on it. I just knew time and time again what I can give testimony to is as I asked God, what do you want me to do? There were so many things that I heard back. It wasn't like a quiet, like small, hard thing to figure out. It was like, oh my gosh, I could for sure put that into practice. And that was because I, I wanted to step into the space of doing. And you, you can do that too. It, it doesn't have to be that you have all the answers. It doesn't even have to be that you have to be awesome at this topic. Just take any step you can take. And I'm telling you, God will meet you there. And you start taking steps towards the doing things that God wants you to do. And it will radically change your walk with Jesus. That's unlocking the awesome Christian life. And then the last thing inside the passage I want to bring your attention to is inside of verse 25, he says, but whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom, then he says these four words, and continues in it, and continues in it. This is worth making it the third point of the message, the third step to unlocking it. You have to not just listen, don't only listen, do what it says, and continue in it. That's what you have to do. You have to continue in it. What is he saying? Well, James uses a, a verb tense all throughout this passage that is, um, is letting us know this isn't a one-time decision, what we're talking about here today. So it's not like you came on Tuesday night, I'm going to do what God's word says, and then you, that's it. That's, that's all you have to do. No, it is, it is a choice you're going to have to make many, many times over the course of your life. And because he's saying you have to do it many times, then the implication is there's going to be times you don't, and you have to come back to the doing of it. If you're going to continue in it, it re, it's, it's talking about coming back to God and saying, uh, hey, I haven't done what your word says, and so I'm going to change my mind. I'm going to say not that way anymore, and I'm going to come back to your way, God, which is I want to hear your word, and I want to put it into practice. I want to do something. See, the other thing that's in that drawer I talked about earlier, it's yes, you bring your obedience, and God brings his power, but there's other things in the drawer, and one of them is when you fail— there's God's grace and his kindness. It's not just men. I need to obey. Yes, you do need to obey. And God will, if you are able to experience change in your life, that's because of the power of God. But when you don't do it, there's God's grace and kindness waiting for you inside of that drawer. And what that leads you to is to change your mind and to come back to him. That's exactly why his kindness is there. And so this, this idea of, I just... I have to do it all perfectly every single time. I have to do what the word says. That's not, that's not really what the Bible teaches because the Bible doesn't say that real faith is perfect faith. Real faith isn't perfect faith. I could take you to multiple places in the Gospels where there are people who have strong faith and that's commended to them. I, but I can also take you to places where people had little faith or weak faith and they're still a part of the family. Okay, there are people, there, I mean, some of the disciples, Jesus told the disciples, he's like, oh, you have little faith. And then the whole church starts with those guys. So it's not that your faith has to be perfect. It's not that it always has to be strong, but that it has to continue. That's what the Bible teaches. Real faith endures to the end. If your faith 
Israel, it will continue, and you will continue in it imperfectly as we all do, but you'll continue in it. See, one of the hard things to teach people about faith is we like the idea of just like, man, I'd like to visit in this space of Christianity, then maybe I'll try some other things, maybe I'll come back, maybe I won't. And it's like, no, I really gave that a shot. I really did believe that thing. Well, the Bible teaches that real faith endures. So when it's real, not perfect, hear me clearly, even if it's imperfect, but when it's real, it continues. And you endure in it. And it doesn't matter if you, if you're, it's like if you're running the race and you're like, man, I, I'm not even running anymore. I'm just walking. I'm not even walking anymore. I'm crawling. It doesn't really matter. All that matters is that you're still going. And that's what the Christian life is like. That's what, that's where it really gets to be awesome because we're all going to reach the end of this one day. This isn't forever. This struggle, this painful push isn't forever. There is a day it's coming to the end and your faith in God, you banking everything on him, when that's real, you don't give up on it. You say, man, maybe I've been imperfect, I'm failing in this way and I'm going to come back to God. But it never involves like, I'm just, I'm done with that. I'm going to walk away from that. The Bible would teach if that's the case, then it, it probably wasn't real. Because when it's real, it will get you to the finish line. That's the greatest fruit of real faith is the continuance of it. That it, I'm just, I don't even know how I'm crawling in this race, but I'm crawling. That's real faith. And so my hope for you guys out of this passage is that you would look at your life and just do a little bit of self-evaluation. Look at the amount of things that you've heard from God's word and then think about the things that you've done because of it. And if you have so much in the, I've heard all this, but man, I really only do a few things. My encouragement to you is this is, this is the night to start changing that. Maybe, I mean, I don't know if you're going to hear another pastor say this, but maybe you already have too many things in this category of listening to it. Maybe the answer isn't another podcast, another, you know, another sermon, another series, another, you know, intense Bible study. Maybe it's not that. Maybe it's just stay where you are, but focus on the, what am I going to do about this stuff? Because it's possible that the wandering feeling that you have in life is not because you're not hearing from God. It's simply because he's saying, There's things that you already know. I just need you to do that. I need you to step into the things that you know. And in it, I'm telling you where it leads. That's how the passage ends. Verse 25, I hope you saw that. At the end of verse 25, he says, because that person will be blessed in what they do. And the idea of being blessed in uh, in today's culture is like, we don't ever use that word. If you ever use that in an Uber, it's like, how's your day, man? I'm just blessed. It's like a different way of telling the Uber driver, I'm a Christian, right? Like it's, it's like, it's kind of like secret Christianese words, really. Um, but, but let me tell you what, what James is saying when he says that that person will be blessed. He's not talking about some sort of naive, like weird, happy feeling. That's not the blessed life. The blessed life is the most fulfilling life possible for a human. It's entering into a relationship with God in such a way that your soul is satisfied. That deep longing in your heart is gone. You're satisfied in in the person of God himself. And you're satisfied in such a way that you know that no one or anything can take that away from you. And that's the blessed life. That's what James is saying. 
if you, if you don't just listen to it, but you do it and you continue in it, you will get to live the awesome Christian life. And that's it. That's what, he, that's what he presents to us. Three ways of unlocking that. And I hope we can all step into that more and more as we live out our Christian life. So let me pray for us to that end. Father, we, we're just so thankful that we have your word. That there are so many things that you did say. And Father, forgive us for the times we're looking for something new when you've already said it to us. Help us come back to the old things that have been said, not just seeking the new things that could be said. We believe that when you revealed the things you revealed in Scripture, you gave us the things we needed pertaining to life and godliness. You asked us to live in such a way, but you didn't just leave us alone in it and point your finger at us. Instead, you jumped in the trenches with us and said, I'm here with you. And so, Lord, for, for anyone who's in this room tonight, and they sense that there, there needs to be a shift in their Christian life. Lord, I pray that they would just sense your grace right now. They would sense your kindness, your tender heart towards them. That you're not shaking your finger at us. You're not the one who, who gives wisdom saying, I can't believe it took you this long. You're the one who gives wisdom saying, I'm so glad you asked. I'm so glad you're here. I just want to give a few seconds here just in this posture of prayer. I don't have anything I want to say anymore. I just want to give you the space. You spend some time with God. If there's anything stirring in your heart, just talk to him about it. Here in a minute, we'll, we'll stand and we'll worship together. But first, you spend this time in the presence of God.